So we've been hearing, we heard from Ramosha Lichtenstein about the various reasons we, we learn Torah, what it's supposed to do to us, why we learn, what we're supposed to feel when we learn. And we heard from Rabbi Kimchi about the uh, different types of uh, shurin, different types of Torah, different types of learning we might, uh, we might experience. And... Rabbi Kimchi said that's every shir you go through throughout life, when you walk out, you're going to ask yourself that question, which, which type of Torah it was. So we understand that there's what happens when we learn. But now, one of the things that you're going to have to figure out in your life is uh, some, some are in Zoha to spend all their, all their life uh, in the base Medrash and they have various worthwhile careers. <coughs> and... Um, they have to make it work. You have to make it work. Mm-hmm. You have to make it that you carve out an important time to important time that you're able to learn Torah. Wittgenstein used to discuss, Wittgenstein that's all used to talk about when Chazal say Kovea Itim La Torah, Kovea Itim La Torah he said means that it becomes a focus of your day. It's not learning when I have a chance, it's learning. Everything else fits in around that. And at a certain point, it means making it a priority. Now, there is a third person on the panel who's caught in a little bit of traffic, because somehow this whole weekend is Rachel Imenu's yurt site. And uh, so he'll hopefully join the panel in the middle. But in the meantime, we have, uh, we brought some alumni and honorary alumni um, who are able to uh, tell us from the field what it's like to fit in from the trenches. Uh, they're, they're learning with their, with their career, and hopefully we all have a lot to learn and gain from them, so we thank them for uh, coming. Okay. All right. Um, so before I uh, left this evening from my house, uh, my wife, who is an excellent educator, said that um, you guys are really young. So I really should just sort of explain that in some basics. Like you may not know some of the touch points that I may reference in terms of my story. So um, the parts that I think that you can relate to pretty easily is I grew up in New York and I went to a high school where uh, as a senior, my principal was none other than Rabbi Ryan. I don't think the high school is still around. <laughs> Mine too. Uh, okay. And then I was, in the, I was in the Gush for a year and a half before college. And then I was in YU and then uh, another year afterwards. And then I went to, um, yeah, then I went to law school. Uh, it was a long time ago, and I worked in New York in a very large law firm in New York for about five years. And then my wife and I made Aliyah, and uh, we've been in Israel for about twenty-one years. And I'm a partner in a, uh, I guess, the largest law firm in Israel. And um, I never go to court. What I do involves uh, mostly high-tech companies and other kinds of companies, and it's negotiation of uh, of deals. It's uh, counseling and providing advice. Uh, Ellie Weber can give you more of a background on it. Uh, you know, his, you know, in his former life at Chata Echad Nimaskirayom. Yes, exactly. He's Chazer Betshuva. I'm still not yet there. Um, uh, but one thing about uh, about uh, law, whether here or there, is that it's a very demanding profession. Um, before, when I um, left Yeshiva and I mentioned to Rav Amital that I was going into law, he said, which I think is actually quite true. You need to literally uh, steal time to learn. On the other hand, um, getting back to something that, um, that was just said, 
I didn't like the the, the the title that setting aside time to learn. It kind of makes it sound like it's desultory or or second or second rank. It's I agree with what was said that it's it's meant to be integrated and it's not that you know whatever small amount of time you learn that's the highlight of the day and everything else is just slogging through. Hopefully things hopefully your life is integrated and there are a lot of different parts and there's tension and there are competing interests. But ultimately. I hope that's all integrated. Um, ideally, that's the way it should be. And, you know, if that's the case, and hopefully then you have a lot more happiness in your life. Um, okay, tachlis, I guess this is meant to be kind of practical. Um, and there are so many ways of, of doing this. But um, if I look back at my time at Yeshiva, so first of all, I think it's really key to, to start on uh, the right foot, meaning that when you get back to university and wherever you're going to be, I was in YU, I thought it was fantastic in terms of learning. The Avira, and again, it's been 30 years or so more, maybe, um, who's counting. Uh, but when it, the Avira there, the Beit Midrash, uh, the Ramim, who are, you know, a lot of them are the same, a lot of them are people who I knew, who were peers of mine. I mean, it, it's excellent. Um, but even if you're not there, you really need to start off on the right foot. Um, you know, don't say, okay, I dedicated so much time in yeshiva to learning, now I'm going to dedicate uh, all my time to uh, secular pursuits or to uh, professional training, whatever it is. You can't do that because then you're sort of really putting yourself uh, back. So the first, you know, when you're back already, maybe this, this summer when you get back, you got to start off, okay? And wherever, you may, wherever your framework is going to be, um, whether it's a shear, whether it's chavruta, personally I think chavruta is actually um, a good idea because obviously then you continue what you had had in yeshiva. Uh, if you could find a shear with a chavruta, that's even better, but whatever, you have to find something. The point is you have to start for the right foot. Now once you get into the professional world, whatever it is, um, there are definitely pressures and you're going to be dating and hopefully you're going to get married, you're going to have a family. There are just pressures and you do need to have uh, some sort of uh, a, a framework. Now, there can be lots of frameworks. Some people really like shirim. Personally, I was never a big fan of shirim because I wanted to do the work myself. I wanted to basically be the one doing the learning myself. Not to say I haven't been in shirim in, in certain uh, miskarot, but pretty much consistently since I've been at yesh- yeshiva, I've had a chavruta. Um, in fact, it's really been primarily two chavrutot. One when I lived in America for four years, another bogeir the yeshiva, and then... Uh, there was actually, I'll admit, there were two, three years after Mialia where really I was kind of uh, falling off the wagon. But, um, but you know, basically after that, for the past 16, 17 years, I've learned with uh, my brother-in-law, who happens to be a, a neighbor of mine. We've covered a, a really a large uh, amount of ground, learning Ba'ian. And it's, at times it's been three times a week, at times it's been once a week. But whatever it is, it's, it's not only been something that's kept us going and allowed us really to progress, both in terms of... Uh, range in terms of depth, which I think has been very satisfying, but it's also kept us kind of in the conversation. Like, you know, we can actually, um, between ourselves, even if it's not officially the time when we're learning, it's something that we can discuss, uh, you know, at, the, at family events, or you're in the conversation in terms of what really is going on in the, in, the, in, the lear, in the world of learning, I think, which is important also. So, you know, you don't necessarily have to be sort of the Ba'abas and you've divorced yourself and you've left the world of yeshiva. If you can maintain those touchstones with friends who are in learning, friends who are in chinuch, I think that's actually also very healthy uh, as well. Um, another thing about in terms of um, how, how to do this, um, uh, I found that it's actually very important, uh, not just in terms of your own learning, but in terms of who you want, what you want your learning to be for, but learning with your kids. Um, which means that you have to, you know, quote-unquote, set aside the time to learn with your kids. It may not be 
intellectually the challenge that you really look for in all your learning, but it's actually it's actually very satisfying. And here's the biggest key, um, you know, ultimately that's the you know that's the ultimate mitzvah uh, par excellence. Just you know, open up the Yad Chazakah. Um, so that's also been something, and actually you grow with them for that also. And actually, you can get inspired from uh, from from your kids. Um, so you know, I've over, made a point that obviously to having to f- try to find the time. Um, and tell me when it's time. I don't want to overstep. I don't have a watch. I'm not, here. I'm not okay, all right. Um, <coughs> you did this before. Uh, <laughs> so so also uh, in terms of when to find time when you're really really busy. It means that you are creating time, uh, creating time that you didn't know exists. It could be that you're getting up at 5.15 in the morning, which is what I do because I'm actually joining the Dafyomi uh, cycle uh, this cycle. It was my first time around coming close to finishing. Thank you. Um, uh, which actually really is, actually does take everything they say about uh, Dafyomi is true. The element of, of the Hatmada uh, in all senses of the word is really unbelievably uh, tangible. At the same time, you should feel a little bad about the fact that you know, you're know you covering, you're running all these amazing studios, maybe able to touch upon them a little bit, maybe if you have time in Shabbat, pulling out you know, a relevant acharon or a relevant uh, uh, safer that has something on it. But you should be feeling bad about the fact. And at the same time, really really broadening your knowledge because you know not much at least for me very much actually sticks but something does and you do actually increase your uh, knowledge base uh, so you broaden your horizon um so it's at 5 15 in the morning shabbos as you get older maybe not even maybe when you're quite young what is your shabbos going to be like that's i think a key question i think it's going to be even more important for your generation i'm not predicting the future but clearly i think as technology advances this is no secret that the uh, advances that technology makes into our lives, I'm not talking only about smartphones in terms of the smart houses, you really have to think about, maybe that's the question for your generation, what is Shabbos going to be to me when there's so much else going on? And is it going to be social? Is it going to be just sleeping because I'm working like a dog during the week? Is it going to be you know, time with my wife, which is something that's important as well? Um, is it going to be time just for, you know, for uh, learning with my kids? But ultimately, how you spend Shabbos has a lot to say about who you are and ultimately about what your learning is going to be. But it could be a tremendous source of bracha in terms of having that time when, you know, leaving certain professions aside, if you're a doctor, if you're, you know, in Keva, in the army, then maybe, you know, you don't have Shabbos. Um, but everything else, I think beyond that, you know, you will have Shabbos, and that means you do have time, and you have to make the, the most of that. Motzei uh, Shabbat. You know, do you, is it they're going out or is it, you know, men actually prefer to spend the time learning. So it may sound a little harsh, but truthfully, I think ultimately if you integrate it into um, everything else, uh, I, I found that it's actually um, um, uh, deeply satisfying um, in the most spiritual sense to be able to have that kind of balance and to know that I'm still very much in, in touch with a uh, Torah, with, um, t- which means I'm in touch with uh, Rabban Shalom, and um, that even when I'm doing... Um, Whatever it is I'm doing during the rest of the week, and it could be a million miles away from, uh, from uh, something that's spiritual, but that touchstone and that framework actually does uh, really color uh, uh, who you are. So um, that's my story. Good. All right, so um, I'll backtrack a little bit um, when we uh, talk about how to deal with such a ridiculously busy life and such a demanding workload as a lawyer. Um, my father, Oliver Shalom, was a lawyer. Uh, partners with uh, Rabbi Weber's father, um, and uh, I can tell you that there is there is a solution. You don't have to be a lawyer. The amazing thing about dentistry 
is you get to come home and you can't work extra hours from home because once you leave your office, you don't have all your machinery, you don't have all your, you just, you don't have it. You, you can't do it. You can sew people up on your dining room table, but that doesn't happen every day. So, well, in some families it does. But, but, uh, but for the most part, when I come home, I'm home. And that was a decision. Um, and I, <clears throat> I want to I touch on that also for a minute, and that life happens, right? Meaning right now things are really cool and you get to enjoy yeshiva and, you know, maybe there'll be a little bit of time after that and then there's college. And, again, things are very, very fluid. But once you get sort of into uh, a, a much tighter misgeret of life, um, it just kind of flows from there. And things happen. You know, I spoke to a friend who... Uh, I bumped into him after years, and I said, so where are you? And he said, well, you know, I've got this job. He goes to Chutzlar. It's two weeks weeks a month. Um, And then he comes back here, and I said, when you're here, he said, oh, when I'm here, I I work like a dog. You know, so he's working very hard here, and then two weeks a month, he's he's not around. I said, are you happy? He said, well, I'm making a lot of money. I said, are you happy? He said, well, I don't really get to see my wife. I don't really get to see my kids. You know, it's tough. Um, But... He didn't engineer his life. He didn't really make any decisions. He was sort of going with the flow. And when somebody came by and saw that he was talented and said, okay, I'm offering you a lot of money, he immediately just saw that as an opportunity. If you haven't made decisions ahead of time of what you'd like your life to look like, your work day, your free time, your relationship, and your time for your relationships with your wife, with your children, with your Rebbe, with God, it's not going to happen by accident. And there are very few people out there with an engineered life. So I think that is a very, very important starting point. Um, and uh, it was right here in, uh, in the main shul uh, one morning when I was, uh, I was learning <coughs> after davening, um, dafyomi, I'm finishing my third cycle. Um, which is, uh, it's not a competition. It's not a, he's been doing all that Eun, you know, um, with his brother-in-law, which is family, which is good values. I'm just, um, but I, I will, I will, uh, I will buttress your point about the Chavrusa because for years um, I, uh, I had started Dafyomi, started and stopped um, and, uh, you know, tried to do it with a shear here or a shear there and it didn't really, didn't really work for me because sometimes I couldn't make it and, um, and, uh, and eventually I just said, okay, you know, rain or shine, I don't go to bed before I finish my death. And that happened for about six years before I landed where I am now. And for uh, roughly uh, 14 years, 15 years, I've been learning with the same Tabrusa. Um, and it works perfectly. Um, and it takes time. It takes time necessarily to find the right, the right uh, recipe for you. But everybody will find them. You know yourself better than anybody else. You figure out what it is that works for you, what works with your schedule, what works with your, with your psyche. But <clears throat> I was sitting here uh, learning after davening, and uh, it was, we were up to Zvachim. It was Kuf Yud Gimel. I actually looked it up. I didn't know that by heart. Um, and it was Gemara about the Re'em, and uh, it's this, this phenomenally large creature, um, you know, the Leviathan in the, in the water, and then you've got the Re'em on land, and, uh, and apparently a baby, a brand new baby Re'em, was the size of Hartavor, right? So this is sort of a hard thing to wrap your head around. And then they discuss, well, how did it survive the Mabul? 
Right was the Mabal in Eretz Yisrael, was it in Chutzar, it's also the Gemara there, and, uh, and says, well, how did it survive the Mabal? And there's a three-way machlokas, whether or not its head, it was its head that was in the Teva, was it just the edge of its nose that was at the Teva, or was it actually outside the Teva with its horns locked onto the Teva, and that's how it got dragged along. And, uh, uh, you know, it's one of those times you just kind of look at the Gemara and go, what the heck are you talking about? Like, like... And I, I pick up my head, and there's nobody in shul, and I look behind me, and there in the corner is Rav Tabori's itself. And I, I picked up my Gemara, and I walked over to Rav Tabori, and I said, Hi, Rav, yeah, you know, could you help me out here? And Kedarko Kodesh, I don't know if you've heard enough about him, um, but, uh, but he said, Ah, I don't understand the Gadita. But this, you know, I might have a little pshat on this. <laughs> and he said, he said, you know, think about when was the Gemara written, right? When's the Gemara finished? Right? We're in the year 500. We're already, Besamikdash is, is long gone. We're out. There's a lot of Hidvolulut, right? And we're very much living within a Roman world. He said, it's today. It's today. We don't live in ghettos anymore. We're living in a Western world. He said, and the, the Amoraim are sitting around and they're discussing exactly the thing that divides us Today, what are there different sects, there are different groups in, in Yiddishkeit, and you've got the people that say, you can't survive in the Mabul, you can't survive in all that water. Your whole head needs to be in the Teva, it needs to be in, in the world of Torah, it needs to be in the base Medrash. You have to completely reject everything else, you can't survive. And then there are people that say, you know what, if just my nose is in there, if I've got my face in the base Medrash, my nose in the base Medrash, and that's the air I'm breathing, so I can survive in the secular world. And there are people who say, you know, the secular world's not that bad. As long as I got my horn sort of stuck on it a little bit, then I'm, uh, you know, showing up on, on Yom Kippur. That's good enough. Um, and he said that that's, that's very much the machlokas that's going on. He said it's very clear to him that that's what the Gemara meant. Um, I, I took that very much to heart. I thought it was, it was so perfect. You know, when you hear something that's, that's MS, it just, it just jumps out at you. <clears throat> and I think that really, while, while that really is, you know, breaks up the, the world, uh, the Jewish world into the, the Haredi and the Tatilumi and, and the, the less religious, um, I think that also really very much exists within our world. We're, 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 a, we're a very unique group that feels like it's really sort of an ideal to have one leg in each world. But it also is the most challenging. If you reject everything secular, it's very easy. You might not always beat the challenge, but it's always clear what's right, if that's what you believe. When you've got this, you know, the sliding scale, and it just, you know, those lines in the sand keep moving, and again, if you don't engineer your life, and you're living within a world where you're working, your, your, life, is your, your life is your work, there's certainly no end of entertainment and things <coughs> that will grab our attention that are out there. And if you don't go ahead and decide how much of your nose you're going to keep in that teva, it's not going to happen by accident. So you want to decide where exactly you're going to be. And my final point um, is, uh, is that I really believe that the difference between, this is something that I said last year, it's only a Shanalf crowd. No. Right, so, right, so you might remember, but uh, with apologies <laughs> to three people in the room. Um, maybe four. Um, I think the difference between a, a good life and a great life is about five minutes. 
a dramatic pause to let that seep in. Five minutes. Yeah, it's not the five minutes, you know, the last five minutes of the race or the five minutes that you overcame your Yetzirah. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the five minutes of good decisions that you made. Right? The decision that you say, okay, you know, whatever it's going to be, if it's going to be a shir, it's going to be for me, was one, one of those moments was I'm going to do dafyomi. And it's not I'm going to finish. The, I'm just, it's just, it's going to be part of my life. Now, I never, really never have to make the decision, am I going to do this today? If I'm tired or if I'm kvetchy or if it's Yom Kippur or if a kid was born or if a kid got married or whatever it's going to be, it's, it's as much a part of my day as eating and davening. It's, it's clear that it's going to happen. So it's no longer an isayam. It was in the beginning before it became part of me, but it's no longer an isayam. So the, the one moment that really affected my life for the better was that moment where that decision was made. And there are a bunch of moments like that where you're going to make a decision to incorporate something in your life or to remove something from your life that doesn't belong there. And those moments, the aggregate of those moments, are really what makes a great life. I did. Hi, <laughs> I think I missed a, a little bit of the first week, and I apologize. And I hope I don't um, repeat too many of his comments. I wanted to just reiterate one comment, which I, I apologize that I forgot your Daniel. name. Daniel. Daniel, right? which Daniel said about forward planning and self and, and engineering your life. I think it's very important, and definitely the time to do it is when you're yeshiva in your formative years. Um, and I was going to talk about it a little bit, but I'm, I'm going to kind of move, move that point to the side because I think Daniel actually uh, talked about it in, in a lot of detail and, and, and I think he really kind of brought the point home. One thing I would like to talk about is, um, one of the few points I'd like to talk about is this idea, the challenge as it were. What's the, the, goalpost, the goalpost as it were of the challenge? So one of the things that you might think is that you're in this kind of, kind of romanticised world of Talmud Torah and you move from the light to the darkness, as it were, in this kind of binary between where you are now and where you're going to be in the future. I think it's very important to, and as you as you go through life, you realise at different stages of man, you know, to use a Shakespearean term, and where you are now is just a single stage of man. And the idea of there being this kind of binary between being in Yeshiva and being out of Yeshiva, I really believe it's a false binary. I really believe it's a, a binary that should be rejected. Um, you, you don't live... Predominantly, then yeshiva, and then have to work through the you know see in the darkness outside <coughs> yeshiva. There's many many different ways of kind of spiritual specialization. Um, many of them at the moment are done within yeshiva, and there are many ways and varieties to do it outside of yeshiva as well. But certainly, if you do believe and you kind of struggle with this binary between the, the light and the darkness, I think you, you genuinely are um, in, a dis- dis- in a in a point of disability throughout your life, um, and you're never going to be able to find. Um, a responsible, mature, uh, disciplined approach um, because ultimately you are in yeshiva today but you still have the same challenges as any youth, uh, any teenager that has, you know, that's on their gap year somewhere else. You still have a social life, you still have an online life. You have all these challenges. Now you have the opportunity in yeshiva to manage those and work out, you know, a a disciplined and moderated approach to those but they don't go away in yeshiva in the same way in which your Torah shouldn't go away when you leave yeshiva. It's something you should add on to your 
to your life. And there are different ways of adding on. There's different ways in which you can think about Talmud Torah across, your, across the ages of man, as it were, across your lifestyle, um, when you, you please God, have kids, when you have a wife. Um, you can think of it in three different stages. There's Talmud Torah as a feature. So you go into many people's houses, many from Balabatim in Hendon or uh, wherever it might be in, 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 in the U.S. that you're from, or, and you see that they have the art scroll shafts on their, on their wall. They have them sift on their wall. This is Talmud Torah as a feature. It's important. Uh, you know, the Sefer Chilaf says that when you have uh, Sfarim on your wall, it's, it's, you're, the mitzv- you're fulfilling the mitzvah of Ketiva Sefer Torah. So there's a mitzvah there. But at the same time, it's a lifestyle choice as well. A person that may decide, for example, I'm going to have shafts, I'm going to buy, you know, I'm going to leave Yeshiva, and I'm, I have a friend who left Yeshiva, he went, to, he went to Cambridge, and the first thing he did, he said, I'm going to buy uh, the full set of Mishnahis, and I'm going to buy the Rosh and the Ritva. And he had this huge, in his, in, his, in his room in Cambridge, he had this, pretty much every single, every part of the wall was, was filled with these. I have, I have no doubt in my mind that he didn't have the time to, to actually go in and read the entire Ritva on shafts, but... For him, it was an emotional connection that he kept up, and he knew that whenever he walked into his room, he was walking into a Beit Midrash. So that's Talmud Torah as a feature. It's, it's, it's choosing Torah as a lifestyle, and it's an important external choice to make. Um, then there's the second level of Talmud Torah, and Talmud Torah, when you, you develop mature onto a, a high level of religious <coughs> maturity, you can see Talmud Torah in a vacuum. And what does it mean, Talmud Torah in a vacuum? Talmud Torah is works in a vacuum when, for example, you are going to college or you're still in your formative years and you make independent, autonomous decisions, mature spiritual decisions to pursue a life of Torah, in whatever shape, form that may be. So some of you are going to secular college. That idea of Torah, Torah in a vacuum is going to become a much more important part of your life when you're going through college if you want to sustain and enable your, your, your growth through Torah. Um, if you're even going to why it's still going to be a part of it. It's very easy to become mediocre uh, in your time. That's why it's very easy for things to be put in your lap when you're going to YU or wherever you're going to. So the idea of making independent, rational, moderated, autonomous decisions for Talmud Torah, they affect only you and no one else. This is Talmud Torah in a vacuum. And the third level is where Torah becomes Talmud Torah as a value. And this is where Torah decisions, Torah, Torah decisions permeate your lifestyle. You make life decisions around and based upon your value to Torah, for example. So I have friends, for example, who are very, very much uh, in, the, in the Torah world, and they have uh, wives and children that are not necessarily in the Torah world. They potentially are challenging the idea of struggling with... They've created Talmud Torah as a feature. They've got the shafts on their wall. They worked out Talmud Torah as a, uh, in a vacuum. They sit and they learn uh, every single day. But they're not able to communicate that value into their home environment. The, the culture that they've created at home is not a culture of Torah. It's, they might have their own Daladamas of Torah, but it's not something that happens with their kids. It's not, it's not actually a social experience in their house. It's not, it might be something that, that their wife doesn't necessarily value to the same level. And there could be many, many reasons for that. It could be that she hasn't had the opportunity... Most of your wives probably will not have had the opportunity to have learned Talmud Torah by Ian, for example. Um, it could be that um, she uh, didn't go to Sam, for example. You might, you might end up marrying someone who's like a bold to Shabbat, someone who doesn't have that opportunity. Um, or it could just be that she's just a normal from girl and her value is raising the kids and she's only got so much time in her life and she doesn't have time to do everything. 
said, you're going to be specializing in the, in the, in, on the Talmud Torah side, and, and perhaps she'll be more, the, the focus for her will be, will be less on the Torah, the other values, other Jewish values that she'll be bringing into the house. Everyone, you only have a certain amount of hours in the day, you can only do so many things, so you, everyone has to make choices. But whatever, whatever that decision may be, the Talmud Torah as a value is really where you want to be. And that means taking away from your own Torah in order to give to other people. So, for example, that means, for example, saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have Kavrusa with, with my children. Um, and not only that, but making sure that they realize that you are sacrificing your Torah because teach, learning with them is more important to you. Knowing that, that, that that's something which, the creating a home, that you should tell them that this is the most valuable part of my life. I go to work every day, I spend eight hours with my boss every single day. But the one hour, let's say, I learn with my kids is the best part of my week. And you should tell them every single time you learn with them that. And I'm just giving an example for kids, but it's something that you should create that type of environment wherever you are. Before you get to, 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 to the era of your life where you're in family, you should be thinking about Talmud Torah as a value today. Um, thinking about how you can build that environment, almost as a test environment, experimenting with it, with, you know, potentially uh, with your friends, um, with your family. It's not something you want to force. It's something you want to enable in power, for example. Even when you go home at, at Pesach, you don't want to come, come home um, you know, and say, well, we're throwing out the dishes, or you know, I have this margin. But think about things, think about values, don't think about details. Tama is a great opportunity to create a value. Uh, I'll give you an example. So, um, I, 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 I'm personally from a Baltic uh, background. But, so I learn with my dad, the Ramban, every single week now. And, you know, I tell him that that's the most important part of my learning. And also my kids see me learning with my father as well. So that's a great opportunity to create Talmud Torah as a value. And my dad sees it as a great opportunity to <coughs> spend time with me. He cares about Torah as well. Perhaps he hasn't had the opportunity to experience it in the same way I had when I came to Yeshiva. But at the same time, it's a, it's a way to create Talmud Torah as a value for myself and also for other people. So those are the three levels. Um, one other thing I wanted to talk about as well is I work in, in high tech in, 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 in Israel. I work in sales. I'm a sales director. I manage a team. Um, and um, when I'm hiring uh, new sales uh, individual sales executives, um, these, are, these are people that are basically working with high-level deals. So it could be uh, a multi-million dollar deal um, across, let's say, Oracle or Google or Microsoft or what it might be. Um, and there are many, many competences that you're looking for within an individual. So within sales methodologies, one of the... One of the Parts of sales methodologies are the five different personalities you find within sales. People that are good at sales, people who work within sales, people who manage high-level deals, they're, they're, they're broken down to five different types of individual personalities. So one is called the hard worker. This guy, he works hard. You know, he's gonna, you know that he's, not gonna, he's gonna work late, for example. He's gonna go home, he's gonna take that call at 12 at midnight, whenever he needs to be there, you can, relate, you, can, you, can, you, can, you can make sure he's gonna be there. So you have the hard worker. The next thing you have is the relationship builder. The relationship builder is a person who builds relationships with his clients. People buy from people, so you need to make sure that you have someone who's a relationship builder who, who's <coughs> connecting people to other people. Um, the third type of, per, uh, of sales individual is called the problem solver. This guy, he's going into a company saying, tell me what your problem is. Tell me what your pain points, your challenges are. I'll show you how this product is going to add value to your business. He's going to solve their problems. So that's the, those are three. And then the fourth is called the business, work, business owner. This guy, he's a business owner. He, he sees his clients, he sees his, his sales as his business. He's like, I own this business. I'm going to make sure that I'm going to get this work done. So this is a guy who is very, very secure and has a lot of confidence. So those are four different types of sales individuals, sales personalities. 
The fifth one usually on average does between two and three times as much revenue closing as any of those four together. The fifth sales individual, he is way, way, way beyond these guys. Like the guys who are closing the, the biggest deals and doing two, three, four times as many of them, they have a specific type of attribute. And this is an attribute which is not just relevant to sales, it's relevant to life. This is called the challenger closer. And the challenger closer is the guy who every single call, he's listening to his customers. He's thinking about what they're saying. He's working through their challenges. He's building relationships, all of these things. He's doing what everyone else is doing as well. But he's doing something, one thing which is completely different. He's challenging their assumptions. He's saying, I get your business. I understand your business. I know what you're trying to do, but you're, you're missing this. You're missing this. The challenger closer is a guy who, he's, he's going to be really successful in his career. And if you think, let's apply it now to Tom and Tora and, 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 and where you guys are up to. You always need to be thinking about challenging your assumptions. Never ever settle for mediocrity because you're, you're going to get to points in your career where you'll be, please God, stable, you have a family, you'll, have, uh, you'll, 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 you'll be financially secure, and then what? You'll really, really be able to just relax. You will, unless you have that challenger personality. Because you, you, you're, you're, you never get to a point in your time and Torah where you've done it and you've reached that climax. There'll be new challenges tomorrow. There always will be. There'll be emotional, personal, social, intellectual, at, at, at all stages in your life. I've got a friend who, he was in, he was in school with me. He, was, he, was, he learned, maybe he went to a non-Jewish school and he was one of the few from people in the school. And he learned every single day. He was, he was in Dublin every single day. He had a private tutor and he came to Gush and he went straight into, I think he went straight into... Uh, the one of the Israeli like everyone went to Rabbi Mordechai Shir in the English guys and then and, and, and then this one guy went to like one of the top I think he was in Rabbi not quite Rabbi Lichtenstein but he went to Rabbi Lichtenstein after like Pesach anyway he went to Yeshiva he went to Yeshiva he finished his time in Yeshiva he went to Cambridge he's not from now and he's not from because one of the reasons I speak to him still I'm still in contact with him he's done very well in his career um, and I, I asked him, and I speak to him on a personal level. Like, what happened? Like, like you, you had like, what, what was it that you were missing? Not, not that you got now, or that you didn't understand. And he was never the challenger sale. He was the top performer. He was the top performer. But when the circumstances changed, didn't know how to deal with them because he didn't understand how to challenge himself, his assumptions, and work through where he needs to be in his next stage in life. Now. It, every single person here will go through their own challenges and everyone needs to work through those and think about those in order to be ahead of the curve like constantly be ahead of that curve and that curve never changes like it doesn't 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 like settle when you get married it doesn't settle when you have kids when you have grandkids you always will find yourself in new challenges and with Tom and Tara you always find additional pressures you are going to have much more pressures you're never ever ever going to have enough time to learn ever in your life you will always have your, your cup will always be half full and you have to manage that value with all of the other values in a way in which it permeates those other values as well. So those are, those are the, the points I just wanted to mention. Questions? Five, six minutes if people have any questions before we go for a marriage. How do you feel that like, the communities around you have like, shaped your guys' experiences in Hamantara or like, how they've been added to or detracted from? You're pointing that question to somebody specific? The panel. The panel. 
Um, I think that's one of the decisions that you have to make when I talk about, you know, engineering your life. You set yourself up in a community where, you know, there are many shiurim where, you know, between Mincha and Marv, you're going to be, you know, milling about and there's going to be, there, there's going to be either a shear between Mincha and Marv or when you bump into your friends, the conversation is going to be around some interesting halakhic question that came up, you know, meaning that that directly affects your life and not just your learning, but, you know, what, what the focus of your day is. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that totally. Um, I'll add that community is an important part of uh, developing tactics for learning, to be very practical about it. Uh, one of the things that, that works very well for me, uh, I wish I had more opportunities, but, but to be able to teach, um, not in any official capacity, not in any official uh, uh, miscarriage, but when the opportunities arise, grab them. Because, the, first of all, you'll learn much more when you actually teach. That should be obvious. If it's not, trust me. Okay, When you actually have to teach something, you actually have to understand it, prepare, whatever level it is. Okay, It's still going to be um, a, a much better learning experience than pretty much anything you'll be doing just by yourself, unless you're writing something, which is sort of the same thing. So community helps in that, in that regard. Um, in fact, I, I'll admit, I'll, I'll recognize the fact that for some people, actually being outside of a very strong community can be better in the sense that they have challenges. That if you're the man, if you're in a place where there's not many other people there, so you know, you'll be the man. That's a risk. But I've seen it work for friends of mine. Um, I'm not sure it works for everyone, but um, at least for me, um, being in a community of, of where people are, are learning certainly works. It also uh, obviously projects your family or on your kids. They see other people learning. They get it, um, as opposed to being sort of the weird kids, you know, whose father, uh, you know, learns, or the, or the weird family that actually takes this stuff uh, stuff seriously. Uh, healthier for the kids, I think, to be in a, in a more than a scare, where they're not necessarily Yotzei Dauphin. I think there are very few communities in the world where the community environment permeates the value of Talmud Torah. Like, there are a lot of people that learn within a community, but in the same way, you going to into Alon Shput? The ideal of Thomas Hall very much permeates because the yeshiva is here, because of the institutions that are here. It's something that it, it's part of the, the logo of Alon Shvut, part of the brand of Alon Shvut. And there are very few communities in the world um, where that, 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 that intensity of that value of Thomas Hall permeates the community. Now, you, you have the opportunity to, to, to enrich yourself with it here, and you may decide to, to live in a community like that, or you may not have that opportunity or that chance or that choice when you go back to America or wherever you decide to live. Ways in which you can re- replicate that, certainly online, virtually. Um, there's many, many ways, many opportunities. If you go onto Facebook, for example, there are many online communities of um, very, very, very high-grade um, Talmudic scholars, Talmudic Chachamim, that are on uh, Facebook groups. Like, uh, there's, there's Ask the Beit Midrash, for example. There's uh, God Save Us From Your Opinions. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a more general one, but you see some of the answers there, and there's some really serious Talmudic Chachamim. You can literally ask them, you can see there's, tw- there's questions every 20 minutes. If you're going to spend time online, think about how you're spending your time. So certainly, virtually, you can imitate and replicate the environment that you find here. That intensity you can replicate online. Um, and and as, I, as you all have online lives, you should definitely be thinking about that and working through that and trying to spend an amount of time online mm-hmm. using those Facebook groups, for example, uh, and, and building WhatsApp groups, for example. There are other WhatsApp groups you go on, whether Halakhic Shilas and stuff, you can get... Uh, you can you can join communities of uh, uh, 929, for example, uh, where they do a, a parakat tanakh, and you get, for example, I can add you to a group where 
you um, uh, get a parak of Tanakh and you have like a, a person that goes through an eight, ten minutes every single day telling you what that uh, parak is about in English or in Hebrew and then connects you to the, to the 929 link. That's some 99 is the amount of, of, of parak in the Ryan Tanakh and then there's a, there's, a, there's a group which goes through all of them. Um, I have a friend, for example, who started a WhatsApp group for the 929. It takes about three, uh, three, three and a bit years to go through it if you do one parak a day. And he, cre- he said, I'm going to start doing every single day like one of the chapters I'm going to send out as a WhatsApp message of like eight, ten minutes. And when he did that, he, it literally in two weeks, he had 500 people on the WhatsApp group. He had to create, I think, four different WhatsApp groups. So there are communities like this online. You should definitely connect to them today um, and, and find out, explore them, find out about them. Um, and there are many, many Gushnikim uh, that are very, very active and vocal on these communities. Everyone I've talked about the people I think of, for example, who, who, are, who are active on the online Facebook groups like Ask the Bait Midrash um, and these WhatsApp groups, 929, for example, I, I think almost all of them I can think of, the ones that are giving like high-quality answers, are, are, are Gushnecks. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so respectfully uh, comment that I think mm-hmm. that it's, it's wonderful to be part of, you know, shoot them online and, and learn a lot of things online. I think there's a lot of information. I think it's maybe overstepping to say that it is a reasonable replacement for a, an actual community with actual Tomita coming that you're interacting with face-to-face. I, I, I agree with him. I still like to open up. I still want to open up the Shev Shmaitza or, or, or the Tosos Rush and on top of I mean, there's a lot to be gained by Elon, but ultimately, um, you know, to plow the ground yourself, that's the richest experience for me. Um, I recognize that a lot of people may, may be different, but uh, and there's obviously they're not mutually exclusive. Um, again, I'm assuming that you know that the Hilchot Shabbos won't change that much, and so the United answer solves the problem for six sevenths of the of the week. You still got to deal with Shabbos, um, which is, should be an important part of uh, your learning. So also, I think the, the relationships that you get from you know the value of the actual relationship with all these people that's based on Torah. Yes, I have a friend here in uh, in, in Alonshvut. We, we only talk, you know, we have two things that we talk about. We bake matzah together, and I do his children's britot. It's all, you know, and it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful, that's our relationship, you know. But, and every time we say, that, that, that's, that's the connection that we have. There's something very valuable to, you know, let's not forget that there are human beings out there that are Tzalem Elohim, and there's, there's nothing Tzalem Elohim about your computer or your phone. Not saying that it doesn't have value. It does have value, and there's what to do with it. It's a tool like any other, and if you use it well, <laughs> it, it can help. But, but the the value of community goes way, way beyond the information gleaned from the people versus the computer. That it's not just the information. I don't live in a lunch foot, actually. Okay, so it's possible to live outside a <laughs> lunch foot, and actually, <laughs> it is possible. Talk to me for tips later. Um, another community that you'll find yourself in is your work community. Uh, so I, I've worked in a very large <coughs> office, and we've had successful forums which have been fascinating. We've had um, what we call Mifkash Partash HaShavua, open to Chilonim, and I mean, everyone has come. Uh, we actually had a, a Muslim woman uh, come. Very interesting to hear her perspective on my Kedah, because she thinks it was the Ishmael. Uh, okay? uh, we didn't try to argue, um, but that's, that was a very, very interesting to have to see Chiloni approaches. And you learn a lot from that, seeing people who really are unfiltered approaching the text. We, I actually did teach for a year or so uh, Bavakama to, to lawyers, which is also interesting. So it doesn't always work, but if you can, <laughs> actually it could be also a great place to actually to learn and to teach. Again, by teaching, you learn.
Okay. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> so I think that I, I don't think that, that I think that you hear that because you're in the UK, but I think that in America there's also the same the same kind type of uh, impression as well. It's funny, but when I when 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 I went, when I came back um, from English, I was living in London, and um, people were talking about oh this person. I remember one person said oh. Guy doesn't have Yiddish, and then I had another person, like almost in the same day, said, "This person, you know, he's he's so unlike. He's, he's like he's not from. He's just not a gush boy. Like he's like the 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 the, the exception, basically. So everyone has a different type of social perception of gush. Some people see it like some. It depends where your where your point of judgment is. Some people are judging it from the people, uh, you know, the the top level gush. Some people from the bottom level gush. Depends." Depends where your starting point is as well, and like how secure you are as a personality to look at a place like Gush and where you're starting from as well. So, but definitely in the Gush, there's a critical mass of people who there's a critical mass of of public scholars here who are unique. Um, they're not just exceptional; they're unique. Um, you won't find them in any other yeshiva. Um, and um, the challenge is what do you do with with everyone else, and how how do they develop as well? So, um, I think that I think that. The Gush is a very misunderstood yeshiva in, in England. Um, more, more so, it's much more understood now than it used to be, but I think that that also breeds misconceptions and stereotypes. So, cool. thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you.